Bandwidth for the ZA Dev Chat podcast is provided by cloudafrica.net. Do you need high-performance cloud servers that are fast, secure, and reliable? Get your server up and running in five minutes. Check out cloudafrica.net. Welcome to episode 13 of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. Tonight, we are going to be discussing event sourcing with Peter Hermesheis. So, Peter? Since everybody knows knows who we are, and it's just the two of us tonight, let's uh, let's have some fun. You recently did a very interesting talk at the developer user group about event sourcing, uh, the idea behind it. Um, so, can can you tell us what event sourcing is? Oh, awesome! Fantastic! Yeah, so this is actually quite a fun talk to to have, and thank you guys very much for having me. So as event sourcing at its basic core is about storing the changes that lead up to state. It's about storing events um, and not storing state itself. Um, and that's, that's pretty much it. There's nothing else to it. It's a simple concept to understand, um, but it unravels quite quickly once you, once you start implementing event source-based system because a whole lot of, in inverted air quotes, um, ideas which are not new ideas. These are ideas that uh, have just resurfaced. Um, and we'll dig into that a little bit later. Cool. So as with all good things, the stuff from the 70s and the 80s is coming back to haunt us and we're suddenly realizing that people knew what they were talking about back then and we just forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And now we're learning it all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So with event sourcing, there's this idea of um, CQRS that goes very nicely um, with it. What what is CQRS? So, um, so the one thing that happens is when you work on an event source based system is that um, you can't do event sourcing without CQRS. However, you can do CQRS without event sourcing. So CQRS is a, is a concept um, where you're actually splitting your reads from your writes and CQRS actually stands for command, query, responsibility, segregation. A whole lot of big words, but at the end of the day, what it means is that for each command and each query, they are separate. We don't use the same abstractions for commands and queries. They are separate. So, for instance, a command would be um, relocate customer, and that would contain all the information related to the customer relocating. And then a query would be something like get the amount of times a customer has relocated. Those are completely separate models, and we're trying to make a distinction between them. Okay. So with CQ, I just want to make sure that I understand this correctly. With uh, You're saying we're, we're splitting our reads from our writes when it comes to storing data. Aren't those generally different operations anyway? So, I mean, I, I wouldn't read and I suppose I might. Okay, so so if I wanted to insert inf- information, into, in, in, if I wanted to store information somewhere, the, huh? the, the idea behind CQRS is that that command would only go and store it, wouldn't return any information back to me. If I wanted to One. read something, I'd actually have to go and execute a query to actually go and read that information back. 100% correct, because the models that we are using to to actually write data is not the same models that we're actually using to query data. 
And the idea behind that is the fact that let's, for instance, say that using an active record model. Um, and what journey happens is you go and query models, right? Um, so we might, um, we might issue a command to say, I want to, um, I want to update this customer's address information. So you go off and you update the customer's address information. And then what you what you do is you issue a query and you're using the same abstraction. So what you would do is you would load up the active record model mm-hmm. and you would actually return the model, correct? Correct. And then that's what you would use to bind to the screen. Um, and those those are completely separate operations. And what I'm saying is that you can optimize your query, your models from um, for reading. And in, in a case of using that example that we just used, mm-hmm. um, what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for writes or are you optimizing for reads? And that's, that's where the difference comes in where you're trying to separate your reads from your writes. It is two separate, it is two separate operations. So for instance, let's go through an example where we're actually not using a event source-based system, but where we are just using CQRS. Okay. So what would happen is you would issue a command to change a customer's last name. What would happen is that would, that command would get sent to the server, and we would, um, once we've processed the command, we would go through something they call a denormalizer, okay? And that would go and populate relevant tables with the information that you deem uh, that you deem fit for reading. So, for instance, um, I could have two separate um, tables: one for the amount of times it's just one column, ugh, two columns, mm-hmm. um, with customer ID and the amount of times he's relocated. And all I'm going to do is I'm just going to, ugh, um, not relocated. Sorry. Um, change their last name. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to increment that counter every single time I receive uh, um, uh, once I've processed that command, right? Yeah. And I could have a completely separate table that will show me all the customer's information. And that would, all I'd do there is I'd update the customer's last name. So what I'm doing is I'm splitting my reads from my writes and I'm optimizing the correct side for what I'm for what the operation I'm trying to perform. So the read side, how difficult would it be for me to write a query to go and get the amount of times that a customer's last name has changed? Well, if I'm using that security-based approach, it would be simple, right? Because all I'm going to do is I'm going to say select star from that particular counter table where the mm-hmm. customer ID is one. Whereas if you had to do it. Um, in a non-optimized way, you would actually go to the c- customer's information and you would try and establish how many times like the the, the data has changed. Yeah. So you're going to have to draw transaction logs or whatever you're going to need to do or insert triggers, whatever. So, yeah. So I, th- I think this is also kind of... So I was about to ask, how is event sourcing different from just standard... CRUD operations, just you know, maintaining singular state within the database. But this this is almost a good example to explain 
that right there. So with a standard application, if we're just writing to SQL or to Mongo or to whatever, we've got a single record that we simply update and we don't really track changes to it unless you specifically have some form of auditing requirement for your for your application. Mm-hmm. Um, so just taking a, a quick step back, what is event sourcing from from that point of view? Um, so it, it we, we use CQRS to to split out our reads and our writes, but what are we actually writing? So we, when we save an entry to the database and when we when we update something, what is actually happening in the background? Okay, so are, are we talking about event sourcing in particular now? Yes, yeah. Let's let's go with that. Okay, fantastic. So let's go through an example and. And the canonical example that Greg Young uses to explain um, the, the ideas behind event sourcing is quite a nice example. So I'll use, I'll actually beg, borrow, and steal his example. And uh, this example I used in my talk. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, let's say you have a shopping cart. Okay. Um, let's go back to how you used to do it in the current days. Um, so you have a shopping cart with order line items. And then you would have some shipping information and you would actually produce an order. Okay. Now think about how you would generally store that in the database. We generally, in the database, we think about like these relationships, right? We have these order line items and we have the shipping information and we kind of group those together and that would produce an order. And that's basically how we store it in, in the database, right? So when I go and remove an order line item, what would I generally do? Well, I'll go and delete from the table, right? Where, uh, So that's how we, how we traditionally build systems, right? And then we have this requirement to possibly determine how many, or like we want to know if clients removed an item five minutes before um, they've added shipping information or they've checked out their shopping cart, whatever the business needs uh, or whatever the business requirement is at that point in time. But we would then have to go back and retrofit our application to either include this information or draw transaction logs or whatever. So what we what would generally happen is business would come to us with some weird um fantasy that they've dreamt up and try and establish um, that particular that particular example that I've just used mm-hmm. where they would say uh, we want to know how many how many people have used uh, how many people have removed an item from their shopping cart just before checkout you would go and develop the report you deploy it and business wouldn't see anything you go to retrofit your application and then you would start seeing the data slowly but surely flow into the report, right? Yeah, because so, so, so inf- data from the past would be lost because we didn't have the ability to track that in a standard CRUD application, correct? Correct, because it's, it's actually not actually lost. We just never, we never cared about yes. that particular d- data. Yeah. So if we now move a little bit forward and we look at how this example changes with event sourcing is um, when we're talking about items added, items removed, those are explicit state changes. 
And that's what event sourcing is trying to solve uh, or trying to, to tackle. It's about it, it's about making that implicit um, state changes explicit. So when we're saving information to, in, into a data store, the changes between those two states are implicit. Whereas with event sourcing, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it explicit. So we're trying to say that when you've removed an item from your shopping shopping cart, we actually want to store that. We want to store the changes that lead up to state. And what we can do in this particular example is if we had to have developed it with uh, event sourcing pattern in mind, we could have easily developed that report because you would have had that explicit state or that event um, which we'll delve into just now but you would have had that inside of what um, we call an event store Mm -hmm. which is just pretty much like the information that we would carry inside of the event or inside of that change into into a database. So essentially we're just saving a sequence of events. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and then if we had to go and retrofit something, we could basically, I don't want to say loop through, we, we could replay those events and basically build up, build up that information that we, that, we, that we want now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. So, so we've discussed you know, the, the, the idea of the shopping cart. Um, and so now if we had used event sourcing and they can – you know, business could now see that somebody had removed Fifty Shades of Gandalf the Grey five minutes before they five minutes before they they checked out, and they can then possibly go and put that on special. So, using using these events um, that we've got, we've got a sequence of events. How are we going to how are we going to display that shopping cart to the user? So, when I as the developer want to you know, in a standard CRUD application, I would just go and read from a particular table and say, you know, select star from know, orders and inner join line items so that we've got everything, right? We display that. Now we're using event sourcing where we've actually kept track of items that were added, items that were removed, I don't know, discounts that were, were applied or, or, or whatever. How would that, you know, how would the internals of that query work when wanting to display the shopping cart to the user? So um, a lot of people generally ask this question, um, and what happens is they would say, they would have this idea in their mind, okay, now I've got this series of events, um, and what those series of events is what we call a stream of events. Um, so it would be this ever-continuing, well, not ever-continuing, but like, like this, it would be this like series of events. And what would happen is, they would say, okay, well, how do I actually reconstitute the state? Like, like, do I just go through all the events and then come up with some kind of model and then display that to the user? Well, previously we spoke about this whole secure is based approach where we actually have this denormalizer that would actually produce what we deem these view models or read models to be. Now, we could use that very same pattern and then... Um, event sourced based examples or um, solutions we call those projections so for instance let's go through another example so your bank balance is very small (laughs) (laughs) 
So we call it, we, our bank balance is this derivation of our previous transactions. So for example, when you phone up the bank and you say, I think I'm supposed to have 500 rand in my bank account, they possibly not going to say, um, well, you have 432 rand in your bank account and it's because this column in the database says so. Mm. So that's not going to be a very kind answer from them. So what you both can do is you basically can go through the previous transactions in your bank account and sum them all up mm -hmm. and then come to your bank balance. And then you can kind of prove in that way that that your bank balance is correct that you're seeing because you go, okay, yeah, I remember that transaction, yeah, that transaction, that transaction. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing there is your bank balance is a summation of your previous transactions. And what we can do is we can kind of like add up all those transactions, get your bank balance. Very similarly, what we can do is we can, when events in our system get raised from commands that were performed, what we can do is we can use those events to populate read models for us. So, for example, let's look at the shopping cart. When we add an item to our shopping cart, we would issue a command to say, add item to shopping cart. And um, that would produce an event after we've gone through our validation that, would, that might produce an event called um, item added to shopping cart or item added. What we can then do is we can propagate that event to what we call a projection. And in there, we have access to all the information pertaining to that event. And then we can do whatever we want in that projection. We can actually write to a SQL database um, table. And that's what we would use to actually go and show the information to the user in our um, web view or our forms application um, or our website. So um, that's what we call a read model or a view model. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that, that would essentially be our current state. Correct. So when, when, when you're talking about view models and, and, and read models, that's the current state of the, of the object that, that you're looking at now, or at least the, 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 the domain object. So what, what, the way I'm understanding this, so with the projection, it builds up, it, it, it runs through the events. We now know, what's, you know what the current state is. You're saying that at that point you can then write it to a SQL database or to a Mongo database or, or whatever you're using and just do a standard read from that, correct? Correct. So w would it be fair to say with, with event sourcing, you're kind of combining event sourcing and CRUD to an extent where you're not actually just writing the you're not updating the current state. You add a new event that took place, and internally your system would then go and update the relevant um, the, the relevant projection. Hmm? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, so yeah, sorry. So there's a there's actually a nice added benefit to that. Um, generally, what would happen, or not generally, in my experience, what would happen is you get these you get these developers. Um, they come up with all these kind of tech choices. We're going to use Mongo for this, um, and we're going to use um, technology Y for that, 
and they mash up all these tech. Um, and the problem is that, for instance, Mongo. Mongo doesn't solve every single kind of data problem on the planet, right? We've got, we've got databases tailored um, and designed specifically for certain use cases. So, for instance, graph databases, they... <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't use Mongo as a graph database. You would use Mongo for for like a NoSQL storage, right? Um, and what would happen is you would you would try uh, with a with projections. What you can do is you can actually say, well, I need to determine the relationships between these two particular people. Now, what database is best suited for that? Um, the data that you're storing inside of Mongo or the data that you're storing in a graph database? Well, I, w I would say you have to choose the right technology for a particular problem. And once you've, once, once you've understand that that is the benefit that something like this gives you, then it opens up a world of possibilities because now you're using, using the tech for what it's supposed to and meant to be used instead of just saying, I am going to take this square peg and try and stick it down this round hole. So clearly the advantages of event sourcing is that you know you basically got an audit trail without needing to go and do anything fancy like setting up triggers on a SQL database or something to just go and you know log entries somewhere else. Um, are there are there any distinct disadvantages to implementing event sourcing? Um, the, okay, so like once we've spoken about the topics here, um, as you can see, it's not difficult concepts, right? These mm. these concepts are pretty straightforward. It's it is just, actually, yeah. It's um, the the disadvantages is that, um, well, not the disadvantages, but the problems with implementing something like this is something we haven't spoken about, which is um, those events that we talk about. Those are supposed to align very well to your use cases. And if you don't, you're going to end up with either two granular events, whereas you're going to say last name updated, uh, first name updated, uh, date of birth updated. Well, those events might not mean anything in your business. Your business might not care whether or not the customer's information has been updated or whether something like this last name has been updated. They, you need to make sure that you understand what your business wants and what your business needs. And that involves some kind of domain-driven design. And it, it's a huge investment, which means that you're not just going to whip up um, like a perfectly designed event source-based system without the time spent in doing proper um, design with, uh, with the business. And like design with design, I mean design sessions. And yeah. sure... You're not going to not carefully design not every system. You're always going to have that in, in mind, but um, you're going to have to do that for those events to actually mean something. And if those events don't mean something, like I said, you're going to end up with a problem um, with regards to using event sourcing because, for instance, the product added and the product removed from your shopping cart if we just said shopping cart updated, you're really losing that information that we've just spoken about, right? 
Yeah, and their event sourcing is not going to help you. I mean, if you if you're not catering for storing important information, then not going to help you either way. Is right. is is that not something that comes with a level of experience and practice at using something? Um, so I mean, initially when we when we all learn something new and implement it for the first time, you know, suddenly we have a new hammer and everything is a nail, and we just you know we want, we want to smash everything. Is this something that you learn with event sourcing, or is this something that should should be learned with you know domain driven design? So domain driven design is a big part of event sourcing. Like I said, the event sourcing concepts are fairly trivial and easy to understand, um, and it's it's mostly geared around understanding DDD and how to apply it um, and when to apply it. Um, you're not gonna you're not going to hit everything with this new golden shiny hammer that you found. Um, not everything is going to require a huge investment um, from your side to develop in an event sourcing manner. So it's, it's all about picking your battles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the the other thing that we haven't spoken about is that... Sorry, you're going to have to edit the ums that, out. That's fine. So the other thing we haven't spoken about from a disadvantage point of view is the fact that, um, um, like with anything, you're gonna you're gonna try and like develop your framework. It's possibly not gonna work out well. It's like we've come to be accustomed to the whole layered architecture. We understand that problem space quite well. Event sourcing is just a, a different way of thinking about it, but with it comes a lot of advantages as well. So, for instance, the examples, uh, the advantages are traceability, debuggability is very simple because what you would, do, what you could do is you could easily copy the events and then shove them through your system and put a breakpoint in your code and actually see where, where, for instance, let's say your state gets reloaded and it gets reloaded in a bad way, being able to put a breakpoint in your code and say replay all the events so I can see what's going on. That's actually quite nice because it's simple, right? It's a it's a clean append only log. Yeah, it's not like delete this information, remove uh, like add this information, update this information. It's it's pretty much like every single state changes track, and it's just this one single series of events. Um, so that, that's that's quite nice from that point of view. The one thing you've mentioned is we've got a complete audit log, right? Because we're, tra- we're tra- tracking state changes. And then we also have the added benefit of um, mitigating the risk of um, business coming to us and saying that they want this funny report and we've accidentally and not purposefully lost this information or not um, tracked it, right? Yeah. Um, the And the last thing I want to mention is testing. So it's something I didn't mention in my talk, but I think it's, it's very important. The testing when it comes to event sourcing is, is quite nice because you would you would actually have this model and your model will represent a customer. Uh, we talk about um, aggregates and, and domain-driven design. So I would say for these series of events, so let's for instance say um, customer surname updated, customer first name updated, those for those two events applied to this aggregate, what do I expect to happen? 
and that's that's pretty much what your what your tests end up being. Um, there's no there's no kind of funny infrastructure that you have to build around it. It's pretty much like here's a series of events. What is the state that I'm expecting to happen after these events have been applied? But at the same time, by by implementing CQRS, you, you kind of making sure that things have got a single responsibility. So from that side, you're also making testing easier mm-hmm. because your code is automatically now only doing one thing. Mm-hmm. So you're only testing for one thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're looking at stuff like aggregates, I mean, that it, it, it all leads to a more well-rounded system in, in my mind. So I have got one last question that could possibly go with the disadvantages. And I realize this could be a little bit of a a little bit of a noob question, um, but you know that that's my forte being be, being a moron. Um, so we, we've got this idea of storing storing the events, right? So I, huh? I don't think it matters where we store the events. We could probably store them in JSON files in a folder, you know, somewhere on a hard drive, or we could store them in MongoDB or SQL, or it doesn't matter where we store the events. But we were talking earlier about having two separate, um, so so having a CRUD system within a, a with have, having CRUD and event sourcing working together. Holy crap! I'll finally get this thought out. Um, so we've got these projections, right? So that 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 is what our current state is. We don't read, uh, we don't write directly to that. We only read from that. What would happen, so let's say we use Mongo to store our events, but our projections are stored within SQL or Postgres or something like that. What would happen if we lost our events? So something catastrophic happens, you know, a wall falls over and only crushes your Mongo server, and for some strange reason you don't have a backup so we've, we're left with only the projections, right? So we bring up a new Mongo server somewhere else. Is there a way that we can say, okay, cool, we've lost everything else, but we're going to start from this point again, if if that makes sense. So take those projections as like an initial event and then work from there. Correct. So, um, I mean, I, I think that would be your only your only saving grace there is the fact that you still have your remorse and what you would do is you would pretty much take that as an initial snapshot of the system and then work from there and say that this was previously a CRUD-based system, my database is now, was, well, is going to be most, um, I'm going to use that to uh, to create an event called um, initial snapshot for, um, for, for the DB and um, move on from there. I mean, if you've lose, if you've lost your events and you don't have a backup, then there isn't really much you can do. Yeah, but at the same time, if somebody currently has a CRUD-based system and they want and they would like to start using event sourcing, they could do something similar, right? So take a, an initial snapshot of what the data is now, and then start capturing events from this point in time forward. Yeah, there's a couple of ways that you could um, that you would be able to take a brownfield um, like existing system and slowly but surely migrate that over to to event to, sourcing to, uh, to to event sourcing. And I would say that, for instance, something like that, you would like I would never never do a big bang release again. So you would um, what you could initially do is you could 
um, create what we call an anti-corruption layer over all of the services if they like are very crowd-based services and then make them produce kind of meaningful um, meaningful information for instance let's say previously you had a customer information or uh, like a um, if I post a customer to this particular service it would just update the customer what I would do is I would say if I care about customer address changed then I would yeah, do some design around that and make sure that all my verbs are correct and then slowly but surely produce those read models. So um, I would not let anything write to that particular table other than the projections itself. Okay. And um, kind of like um, go from there. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I was just wondering whether we can apply that anti-corruption layer to our government, but... <laughs> yeah. So, um, but like I said, um, there's, a, there's a number of ways that you could skin that cat. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously, um, it depends on business to business. Awesome. Um, I don't have any more questions. Is there anything else you'd like to, you'd like to touch on that we haven't, that we haven't mentioned? No, not really. Um, what we are going to do is we're probably going to mention a couple of resources that people can go and look at. The internet is filled with them, and there's some very, very awesome goodies out there. And obviously, we can't cover everything in 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but what we could, we but what we can do is we can kind of introduce a bunch of concepts. And there's a couple of things that I've mentioned here. For instance, aggregates, events, and domain-driven design mm. that we can point people Secures, to. to. Yeah. Yeah, that we can point people to and they can actually do their own research and our feedback is definitely welcomed. So essentially we need to point people to Martin Fowler and Greg Young and say, hey, have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Cool. Um, let's, do you, do you want to point out, do, do you want to do those resources now or should we just add those to the Twitter stream um, and people can just pick them up there? Oh, we can cover some of them now. Okay, um, okay. go for it. So... Um, I'll actually make make that my picks as well for this week. Excellent. So every single video that Greg has, um, or every single talk that Greg has done, most of them are online on YouTube or um, Vimeo. Uh, definitely go give those guys a check. For uh, for instance, the Polyglot Data one is a very good one to listen to, especially if you if you're wondering how you. Um, um, well, we actually did mention the whole polyglot thing, um, using Mongo for something and then using a graph database for something else. So that's a very good talk. Um, we also covered um, domain-driven design, and the, a very good book is obviously the Blue Book that everybody talks about. And if you don't know what the Blue Book is, it is the Domain-Driven Design, Technique, Complexity, and Heart of Software by Eric Evans. It's basically the Bible of DDD. And then Vaughn Vernon has an implementing domain-driven design book that he wrote, which is basically, um, you can almost see it as like um, a follow-on to the blue book, which covers uh, things like event sourcing, which was a concept that wasn't um, inside the domain-driven design uh, or the blue book. Mm -hmm. So those two books are very, very good. Um, and then there's just a wealth of information. Um, just Google event sourcing. Um, you'll you'll probably find a couple of talks um, and then just get as much information as you want from, from Google. Yeah. 
Awesome. So are there any other picks from your side that, that aren't um, event sourcing related? Um, no, no, not really. No. Cool. So I've got two picks this week. Um, I want to say three, but I can't remember what the third one is. So let's start okay. with two. Um, the first one, I can't remember if I've picked this before. If I have, oh, well, too bad. Um, there's a book by uh, Jane McGonigal. Uh, called Reality is Broken. And she discussed why games make us better and how they can change the world. And by games, I don't talk about like ring a ring a rosies. I'm talking about video games. And it's fascinating to read the psychology behind why certain people are attracted to certain games and why gaming is actually important for certain, for certain types of people. So if you don't have... Um, a set amount of what's called flow time during the day. So, so as as developers, we often talk about getting into the zone, mm-hmm. and some people will say being in the zone is terrible, and other people will say that well, you have to be in the zone, and blah 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 blah. Um, gaming is one of the things that can actually, you know, where that flow time is is important. Um, and the book dives into a whole ton of the stuff and why um, gaming can actually be an outlet for positive change in the world. Even the violent games, um, getting your frustrations out and whatever. Um, I'm absolutely, absolutely loving it. Um, Jane McGonigal also did, I want to say a TED Talk, but I think she's probably done two or three TED Talks that also covers some of this content. Really, really cool. My second pick, um, I've been watching a lot of the videos from from Scotland JS that happened a few months back. And one of the first talks I watched... Um, is entitled How I Went from Forklift Driver to Developer in Nine Months. And this guy... Oh, um, right. I saw, saw that talk yeah. being tweeted. Sorry. Yeah. So the guy's name is... I hope I don't murder his name. Is Lewis Cowper. And he had just had an absolutely enthralling talk about how he went from being a forklift driver to a developer. And his explanation behind, you know... What ha- what happens you know when you're a forklift driver and how he made the change? It's, it's a great talk. It's, t- it's only about twenty minutes long, um, and considering this is one of his first talks at a, at a big conference, he did he did an excellent job. And yeah, cool. So Peter, um, I suppose everybody can follow you at the at the same place uh, at Picharmasais on Twitter, and then yeah, I'm Stephen McD underscore Code on Twitter. And yeah, um, thank you very much for running us through event sourcing, dude. I really appreciate it.